So we see all these difficulties and we're like, yeah, just give up, man. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Kidlet Craft Podcast. This season, we're taking a deep dive into Martine Levitt's YA novel, Buffalo Flat. Today, we're focusing on the main character, Rebecca's external desire, the obstacles that get in the way, and what will happen if she doesn't get that desire. I'm Anne-Marie Stroman, and I write everything from picture books to YA and also short stories for adults. Hi, I am Erin Nuttall, and I write for kids, mostly YA and a little bit of middle grade. On Kidlet Craft, we look at mentor text to discover the mechanics of how writers do what they do so we can apply it to our own writing. As Anne-Marie mentioned, we are exploring Martine Levitt's Buffalo Flats, which is about Rebecca Levitt, who is a teenager in the Northwest Territories in the 1890s. And what Rebecca wants more than anything is her own land, and we'll talk about that more today. So let's start with vocabulary. Erin, what do you mean when you say external desire? And how is that different from another term we've used in previous episodes, internal desire? Okay, sure. So external desire is usually what people think about when we talk about desire. It's often tangible, visible, the thing the main character really wants. You may have heard of the Disney I Want song, and that's what the external desire is. In Newsies, it's Jack's dream of going to Santa Fe and living on his own and on his own terms. And in Buffalo Flats, Rebecca wants land that is hers and hers alone. And it's different from an internal desire because internal desire is the internal, as you might expect, change that we look for in the character. Frequently, the character doesn't know that this is what they need. Um, in Newsies, Jack has to see that he doesn't have to always be alone and that he can rely on others and others can rely on him. And that's the internal change that this long wolf needs. Um, in Buffalo Flats, Rebecca is conscious of her internal desire, and that is to be a better person, to, as she says, love the people in the world. And in the best stories, at some point, the external desire and the internal desire should come in conflict with one another. And we will talk about that more in the next episode. Two other concepts we'll be talking about today are obstacles and states. Tell us about those. So obstacles are things that are in the way of either or both desires. And stakes are what will be lost if the desire is not achieved. Stakes is kind of like why we care. And last, tell us about tension. I often confuse stakes and tension. So what is it and why is it a good thing to have in a story? So tension is where the author butts up the desire of the character with their inability to get their desire. And there should be many tension points between those two ideas, the desire and the inability to get the desire throughout the story. And this is a big part of what keeps the reader engaged in the story. Without tension, the reader either doesn't care if the main character gets their desire or thinks their desire will easily be achieved. Um, the difference between tension and obstacles and stakes is the stakes is the result of the character not getting their desire, while obstacles are the thing that gets in the way. And tension is the feeling that the reader gets that this is going to be a difficult endeavor. Yeah, I like to think of it as stakes are what matter for the character. And we as readers empathize with that. And then tension is what we feel 
as we're reading. Yeah, that is a good way to think about it. The, that idea that the reader is engaged in the story in such a way that they have feelings about what's going to happen to the main character. That's a good way for your reader to want to keep reading. <laughs> With no attention, your reader is like, ah, this is boring. We want to keep those pages turning. So in previous episodes, we've talked about how Rebecca's two desires show up in that opening scene and also in the opening chapter. And both desires are really front and center from the start. Let's focus on that external desire, having her own land. If Rebecca were able to get her land right away, this would be a shorter book than it is already. So what keeps her from getting what she wants? What are the specific obstacles she has in this story? Okay, so... Martine is amazing at setting everything up from the beginning. And that's why we spent so much time on the opening chapter was because she set up these obstacles. Um, and then she continues to remind the reader that the obstacles are there. First of all, single women can't homestead. And that is the easiest way to get their land. Easy. It's, it's a lot of work. Maybe I should say it's the cheapest way to get their land. It's $10 and four years of hard, hard work but single women are not allowed legally to homestead. Even if that were not the case, if she can somehow overcome that obstacle, her neighbor Kobe has first dibs on the land that she wants, the specific patch of land that she wants. And then worse, she's friends with Kobe, and so she thinks that, that he might not be too big of an obstacle. But worse, the terrible neighbors, the Semples, also have dibs if Kobe doesn't want the land. There's also the Cochrans, who are a big outfit in the area, a big cattle outfit. And they are concerned about water rights in the area. If she gets the land, they may be upset because they may worry that she's going to infringe on their water rights. And then if she were to buy it outright rather than to homestead the land, then she will have to earn $480, which is a lot of money an impossible sum. And so those are the initial problems, the initial obstacles that she faces. Um, some of those will change throughout the story, but those are the really big ones that engage the reader right away, that they see that there is this tension between her wanting the land and her ability to get the land. Okay, so let's keep going with that tension. It could be easy peasy. Rebecca wants the land. She saves up money. She buys the land. But we have these outside pressures. You've mentioned the land rights, the people who have dibs on the land, the water rights. What other kinds of outside pressure does Martine put on Rebecca's plans? Okay, well, first of all, I just want to say the pressure that Martine puts on the reader is that she repeats Rebecca's desire over and over and over throughout the whole story. Sometimes it's a repetition of Rebecca saying, this is what she wants outright. Sometimes she shows Rebecca working really hard for her money and having difficulty with that. And sometimes Rebecca's talking to someone about her land or defending her choice. The reader never forgets what Rebecca wants. So while that's not an outside pressure in the story, that is a pressure that Martine puts on the reader to engage the reader. We know that Rebecca really, really wants this land. <laughs> and then as far as outside pressure goes, it's a difficult task, right? There's the initial impossibility that she is a single person, or a single woman can have the land. It's nearly impossible to earn that much money. And then throughout the story, Rebecca works and works and works. And yet the money in her money box grows really slowly. And the reader sees Rebecca despairing that she won't make enough money. Um, so that's the difficulty portion. And there are other like natural difficulties and neighbor difficulties 
that, that come into it as well. Martine also gives us a ticking clock, um, which is a great way to add that tension. We know there's a limited amount of time and then also to put pressure on our character to get this done. And Rebecca's ticking clock is that she has until the end of the year before Kobe's rights expire. And then um, the Semples have the option to buy the land. And the Semples are terrible. So we know that they would not be amenable to Rebecca's plan. And then one I think that is really an interesting way to do it is Martine gives Rebecca hope. And she gives the reader hope. So we see all these difficulties and we're like, yeah, just give up, man. But because Martine gives Rebecca and the reader hope, there's that tension again that, yes, this seems super impossible, but it's not totally impossible. Uh, Rebecca's mother gives Rebecca her Japanese enamel box that holds Rebecca's mother's personal treasures. And she gives it to Rebecca to keep her money that she's earning for her land. We know this is a big thing because they are in the Northwest Territories of Canada which still is sparsely populated. And so we know how difficult it would be to have a Japanese enameled box and how precious that would be for her mother. Rebecca thinks, for your land, mother had said, and mother never lied. So we get this hope. Mother believes in Rebecca, so the reader can too. Of course, there's a lot of other tools, but those are some prominent ones that Martine uses in Buffalo Flats. That last one, that hope, and you mentioned that box, that's one of my favorite techniques in writing is finding objects that can be symbols within the story. And so this box, we see later in the story, it comes to stand in for that money. It comes to stand in for that hope. It does. That she has for the land. Yeah. And, and it's just a little object. And actually, she only references it a handful of times in very short scenes. And yet, when she does that, it's just like, hey, don't forget, there's this hope, it's out there, this little, you know, balloon is flying up. And so I agree with you, it's a great way to symbolize that. Let's move on to stakes. What are the stakes for Rebecca in this journey to get her own land, this external desire thread? In other words, what ha happens if she doesn't get the land? Right. Okay, so I think that the way Martina set this up is really interesting. Frequently, stakes are a big thing. Like, there was a show on, I don't even remember what it was called, but it had the tagline, which were the stakes, save the cheerleader, save the world. Do you remember that show? Saving the world is a big one. That's just like all of Marvel. That's the stakes. They don't do this and the world implodes or explodes or Thanos takes over or what have you. And Newsies, Jack, his stakes are that all of the working class will continue in poverty. This is not that. Buffalo Flats is not that. It is not a save the world stakes. There are no outer stakes to Rebecca not getting her land. The territories will continue. Her family will continue. But there are extreme inner stakes, almost to the same level. She made Rebecca's desire essential to Rebecca's character. And in doing so, it makes it a stake as big as saving the world. If Rebecca doesn't get her land, then she loses an essential part of who she is. And I was trying to pick a quote for this, and it was really hard because Martine reiterates it throughout the book in different ways. But I felt like this one really summed it up nicely. It says, she could go away, but she'd only be a ghost anywhere else. Without the land around her, 
with these mountains reminding her every day just what Mother Earth could do if she set her mind to do it. That, as much as anything, made her want the land, and every day she dreamed of it. So that is a big stake. She would be a ghost without it. As we've said, Martine set up this desire for land right from the start, and Rebecca's working toward this goal throughout the book. In what ways did Martine keep our focus on Rebecca's desire? You mentioned that she talks about it a lot. How does she do that? She talks about it a lot. Rebecca tells everyone what she wants. And I think it's one of my favorite parts of her character because she wants something that is so out of line for what a woman of her day should want. So she does. She tells her family. She tells her friends. She tells the land agent. She tells everybody. But one thing that Martine does that I found really interesting, and I hadn't noticed other authors do, and they probably do, and I just hadn't noticed, she ends many chapters with references to Rebecca's external desire. So I'll just read a couple of them, or a few, maybe more than a couple. They're pretty short. It's just the last line of the chapter, and frequently we think of that as like the kicker, right? The one that kicks you into the next chapter, and I love that idea that is this desire that kicks you into the next chapter. So she has, but the miracle she really wanted was her land. Another chapter, Rebecca imagined that runty little pig, which she named Abigail, crawling right into her money box. Another one, she couldn't give up. There had to be a way to have her land. God might have all manner of tricks up his omnipotent sleeves. So we have these ends of chapters that show Rebecca just really, really wanting and needing that land. And that pushes us into the next chapter. So I love that combination of reminding us of the desire, setting up that tension, and pushing us to find out, does Rebecca really get her land or not? I've heard some teachers and writers talk about that desire as a yearning. Mm -hmm. And I can see that for Rebecca here, that it's so much a part of what she wants. Her focus is on it. It keeps our focus on it. Everything is related to that desire for land. It's true. It's an integral part of her character. I think a lot of us, or at least I personally, (laughs) take deep dives into, into these ideas of plot or theme And we, and I personally, (laughs) tend to leave out desire, or I'll put it in once. And I don't remind the reader over and over. Because it is such a part of who Rebecca is, it's not annoying. Because I think that can be, at least that's always my worry that that's the danger. I think why I don't put it in this often. I see that I could do better in that. I can make it a bigger part of who my character is. Because it does make me like Rebecca. It does make me want to cheer for her. It does make me hope that she can get her land and that she can get this thing that means so much to her. So that would be my suggestion to myself (laughs) and to anyone else who is writing that we keep that desire in the forefront of our readers' minds and we make it something that is undeniable for the character who they are. I think Martine did a really great trick here too, where, or smart thing, it's not a trick, it's just a smart thing to do when writing, is that she's taken this kind of ephemeral, loose, woo-woo thing of being a part of the land and loving the land and given it, to Rebecca as a concrete desire 
for her land, for this little piece of land. It's true. Right. And I'm working on my YA novel right now. And I've had people ask me again and again, like, what does she want? What does she want? What does your main character want? And I'm like, well, I know what she wants, but it is really non-concrete, right? (laughs) The abstract, I guess, is the word there. Uh, And so watching the way that Martine has taken this abstract concept of love for the land and made it concrete in this one piece of land that Rebecca wants for herself, that makes me appreciate Martine so much and start rethinking how my novel is playing out. Well, that is a conversation I had frequently with Martine when she was working with me on my YA manuscript. She would always be like, we need to know more about her desire. And I'm like, I already said it. You know? <laughs> and clearly she's, you know, doing X, Y, or Z to get this thing. But yeah, it's not, it was not a part of my main character. It wasn't essential to her nature. And I hadn't understood how powerful that, that idea is. And so it really makes me want to look at things and be like, okay, well, how do we do this so that my reader knows who my character is through what they want? And Martine does it by giving Rebecca this outspoken character. She will tell everyone that she wants the land. It's not a secret desire. That, I think, helps her along in the writing. We get to see that in dialogue. We get to see Rebecca telling people and we get to see people interacting. I think oftentimes my characters have a more secret desire that they're afraid to tell people. Uh, So I have to rely more on internal thoughts to get that desire communicated. And some of those last lines you read are Rebecca's internal thoughts, right? The imagining the pig climbing into the enamel box, for instance. I love that line. I know, it's so cute. Martine does a really good job of mixing those ideas where you have this super deep emotional tie to the land And we see that in Rebecca's descriptions of the land. But then also these funny little things like the pig or she hates chickens. Rebecca hates chickens. And someone gives her a chicken for some work she's done. And she decides that she'll love chickens because chickens will get her closer to her land. So there's things. It's really funny because Levitts are not supposed to be afraid of anything. And one of the things Rebecca's afraid of is chickens. Chicken can be really mean. I will say that. She mixes it up in a way that is engaging. And the humor, we'll talk more about humor in another episode, but it's really hard not to talk about humor with Martine. She is inherently funny and it comes through in her books. And it's always like this little subtle thing. So like you're saying, external dialogue about desire and then internal dialogue about desire. And then these funny pieces of things that are happening or attitude changes or what have you that help underline the desire. And every time that desire comes up in different contexts and different chapters, it's at a different point in Rebecca's journey, right? So her attitude toward it or her thoughts about it may change. It's not going to be samey, samey all the time. No, it is not for sure. I think the strongest one is her ability to describe the land and, and that description of the setting and of her love of it comes like in the different seasons and the different ways that she engages with the land. Also, I don't know. There's just so many ways. Martine is just so good at, at this whole desire. I feel like I am not even giving her due credit for all, for all of the cool things that she does. 
So I, my brain's a little bit exploding with ideas about what I'm going to do when I'm working on my novel this afternoon. But Erin, why don't we move to our last thing, which is a one beautiful sentence. What beautiful sentence did you choose for us today? Well, speaking of a lovely way to describe the land, there's so many to choose from, and I love them all, but this is one. The pulsing prairie arched its back, half woke up as it stretched along toward the mountains, then sank and sighed into the deep green timber to the west. That's gorgeous. And one of my other favorite nerd alert, nerd terms, uh, personification. Uh, she personifies the land here. She personifies the land a lot. And ooh, that's not something I'd thought of. But I wonder what role that plays in Rebecca's desire. Because the land is frequently personified in these gorgeous descriptions of it. And I think it must, well, obviously... It ties me to Rebecca more and ties me to her desire more. I'll have to think about it more and figure out why exactly, right? Or you can too. And, and listeners, you do too. Tell us why personification of the land makes us desire the same thing Rebecca desires. That is it for today. I'm learning a ton here. Thank you, Erin, for doing all the hard work on this podcast. Listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, you can find more content like this at kidlitcraft.com. Find us on social media at KidLitCraft. And you can support this podcast on Patreon. We'll be sending out KidLitCraft stickers to the first 20 subscribers. We also have t-shirts. We do. And I will say they are so soft and cute. You can go to Cotton Bureau and search for KidLitCraft. We will also have a link in the show notes. Download episodes, like, rate, review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Let your writer friends know about the podcast. Send us comments on our website, kidlitcraft.com. We can't wait to nerd out with you.